How do different modes of writing integrate into the professional experience? That is, how can one integrate, for instance, scholarly, journalistic and creative writing? About this and many other fascinating topics is this conversation with Paul Alonso in this new episode of El Café Latinx. What is the experience of being a Latinx or Latin American scholar in the field of communication and media studies? What are the main challenges and opportunities that come with our identities? These are the issues that we'll talk about in El Café Latinx, where some of the leading voices in the field will share their professional experiences. Hola, my name is Pablo Bochkowski. I teach at Northwestern University, where I hold the Hamad bin Khalif Al-Thani Chair in Communication. Together with Facundo Suenzo, a doctoral student at Northwestern and executive producer of this podcast, we invite you to discover the journeys of scholars who are at the cutting edge of creating knowledge about Latinx and Latin American communities across the Americas. These are our stories. Estas son nuestras historias. Esas son nuestras historias. Welcome to this new episode of El Café Latinx. I am thrilled to have with us today Paul Alonso. Paul is Associate Professor in the School of Modern Languages at the Georgia Institute of Technology. He completed his undergraduate studies in liberal arts and humanities with a major in literature and linguistics at Pontificia Universidad Católica de Perú. Then he did a master's degree in journalism and Latin American studies at the University of Texas at Austin, advised by Rosenthal Alves and Mercedes Lin de Uriarte. And finally, his PhD was also at UT Austin, um, advised by Robert Jensen. Before uh, Georgia Tech, um, uh, Paul started his professorial career in the States at Young Harris College. He is the author of uh, two scholarly books. In 2018, Satiric TV in the Americas, Critical Metatainment, as Negotiated Dissent was published by the Oxford University Press, and this past year, 2022, 30 Years of Entertainment and Politics in Peru, From the Media Dictatorship to Democracy's Spectacle, 30 Años de Entretenimiento y Política en el Perú de la Dictadura Mediática al Espectáculo de la Democracia, was published by Editorial Planeta in Lima, Peru. He is also the author of a number of journal articles and book chapters, which have received important awards from professional societies. And on top of that, he has a very distinguished career as a journalist and is author of uh, fiction writing, including a forthcoming novel, Nunca, oh no, Nunca, no, No Fuimos Felices, a tentative title, to be published uh, in Lima by Editorial Planeta. Paul, welcome to El Café Latinx. Hola, thank you. Thank you for the introduction, Pablo. Thanks for the invitation. Too. It's a pleasure to have you here, my friend. So, so tell us, how did it all begin? That is, how was the start of the journey that led you to become a professor? Well, um, I guess it's the journey begins with wanting to become a, a writer and then a journalist. And um, I was studying literature and I really didn't want to be a literary studies academic. I really wanted to be a writer and that was like the closest uh, kind of profession that I could sign up in, in, in my journey to get to do that. 
But then something happened in between, which was that um, I was invited to, to write book reviews for a newspaper, uh, which you know were related to my interests. So I started doing that. And then I was sent to do some interviews with these authors. Then it was music reviews and art reviews, and mainly started in the arts and cultural section of a national paper in Peru, in Lima. And at some point I realized that within a few years I have done stories in most of the areas, you know, from uh, arts and entertainment, but also politics, society, feature stories, chronicles, and uh, uh, a variety of topics. Uh, I've always said that I've written for the media about everything except uh, sports and pets. Um, actually, I did I did a few stories or profile stories with with soccer players. So actually, in a way, I did touch on on, on sports. But uh, so I did a lot of that, especially in my youth. And at this time, I was also writing fiction. I published a few books of uh, short stories and a novel. And then I got into grad school, no, and that's really when I uh, 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 and I was very much into my main interest was to do magazine journalism. That was really what I felt was my passion. I felt at the time, and if you remember what was happening in Latin America, uh, right in the scene at the time, nonfiction and the boom of the Cronica was, you know, back in fashion. And I was very much interested in that uh, and was writing for media outlets, uh, Cronicas and profiles and interviews. And, and I was very much into that whole thing. And when I got to Austin in 2004, I started studying with Rosenthal, no? Rosenthal Alves, who's a Brazilian journalist and a pioneer of digital media. And he kind of, uh, uh, you know, uh, made me understood that the industry was changing very much and some practices were changing very much. Um, and I kind of revalue some of my approaches. I didn't change, I think still writing is my main passion. I always say that I'm a writer that just has learned to write in different formats and platforms, no? So, uh, uh, and I guess a very, I think it's very particular to, to, my, to my career is that I've worked for the media with, with and for very different media, mainstream alternative media, uh, old school print magazine, and also digital media. But um, I, during a lot of the time that I was also developing my academic career. You know? uh, and at the same time, I had published fiction. I've always kept a foot in all these three areas of writing, you know? academic, um, journalism, nonfiction, and, and creative writing. You know? So I guess that's kind of how it started with me. It was the passion of telling stories uh, in a artistic form, in a journalistic form, and I guess in a way for me, academic writing can still be storytelling and the books that I particularly enjoy are the ones that are still telling stories. It's a fascinating answer. And, and it's an answer that focuses on the craft, on the practice, mm -hmm. right? So let's continue on that. Having done this quite some time, how do you think the creative writing and the nonfiction writing together or separately, have informed the kind of scholarly practice that you do. Not, not only the writing, which is a portion, but the questions you ask, how you go about, you know, coming up with answers, etc. And vice versa. 
Has anything having to do with your scholarly career, scholarly life, um, shaped, contributed, influenced, for instance, your novel that you are, you know, in the process of uh, publishing? Yeah, well, um, yes, I think, I mean, I think those three spheres are in constant communication. And, and in many ways, they respond to very similar concerns or passions or issues that I'm interested in. Um, there is communication. I think journalism really, I think, provided me the craft of writing, you know, the craft of sitting in a place, even with a little bit of noise, have some content and be able to put together some words to deliver something <laughs> in a few hours. And I think that's very valuable in any kind of writing, you know, that I, I've learned to do that in a way. Not, not, it's not, I, I don't think it's always uh, my best writing. Sometimes it is, sometimes it's not. I try to develop strategies to make the best out of it. But the idea of just uh, facing writing as a craft I think I've learned that from journalism mainly, no? I, I, in many ways. I think that from fiction writing, I, I take the idea of, of writing at many, writing as a multi-layer activity, no? as a symbolic activity, as a aesthetic practice, no? uh, that has to do with, and also it's, it's important to say that, for example, I have developed most of my academic career in English, writing in English, uh, but most of my fiction uh, writing, all my fiction writing is in Spanish. And uh, my nonfiction or journalism has been in both, but mostly in Spanish. No, so I've written in all in different kind of languages. Uh, but I think the craft I got from journalism, the artistic and aesthetic vision from creative writing or fiction writing, and. The, I've applied these kind of strategies or, or, or um, skills in academic writing, but what it has given me is actually what you mentioned is the idea of formulating questions, no? Into turn writing into ideas, questions and ideas that respond to them, which, you know, it's through different means. I mean, one of the things that I always struggle is, you know, in, in I think in creative fiction or even in creative nonfiction, it is much more important sometimes to show and not tell, right? Uh, I think in academic writing, you need to do an effort to, even if it's, even, even if it feels redundant within your holistic vision to reinstate and make clear an argument, no? Uh, I think that's a, a very important definition. Actually, I just got a review on a book that I'm working on and they're like, you've worked as a journalist, right? That was the first, uh, I was like, okay, you have to, I, I get it, you know, I'm familiar with your topic. You need to reinstate the things. So you're, you're telling the story, but then there are other kind of uh, things that need to be reminded, you know, but they are mainly issues of format, I think. No, I think it's a, it's about a format. I've always struggled with, with describing uh, parts of the process because, you know, uh, 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 most of my, my academic work is, focused, is based on ethnography, content analysis, discourse analysis, and uh, uh, interviews, no, and 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 what I also call the writing process itself, no. So, um, I mean, there are parts of it in which 
it is really a very subjective part, the most subjective part of the process, which is not only do the content analysis and the quantitative part of it, but the qualitative part of it, which is really look at stuff, read stuff, consume stuff, and come up with ideas and how this is organized, how this makes sense, not just how many times something appears or is recurring in reality, but what are possible explanations, interpretations in relation to their context, what they mean or what they could mean, no? So I think uh, I think there is a constant conversation between these three areas of my writing career. And this constant conversation in the day-to-day, -day, you go in and out of different genres, let's use that word, right? different genres of writing. And I understand that within the academic writing, you have journal articles, it's different genre from books, but let's just say, you know, uh, scholarly, creative, journalistic. Um, do they mix and match in the con you know, context of a day, a week? How do you organize your, your time? And how do you transition from one mode of writing to another mode of writing? That's very, yeah, great question. I, I, I It's very hard for me to have them at the same time. Uh, I rarely do that. I mean, what I do is I'm usually working on one main project and I have ideas or drafting ideas whenever I have something else that is going on but I usually get full time into one of the things. For example, now I am working on an academic book that I want to, uh, I have a deadline to submit a complete manuscript this year in July. And now I even though I've been dying to go back into another novel that I'm writing, some creative writing, I'm just putting it away, except when I have really vivid ideas of some parts of it that I take some notes and I do the drafting I'm trying to avoid. And really get into it at this moment. But after July, it probably is going to be the other way. No? Uh, I, with journalism, I've transitioned. So for example, I, I direct, I founded and direct this uh, multimedia outlet called Polyvision, in which we uh, produce a lot of uh, content related to Latinx and Latin American and global cultures. And it's based in Atlanta. Um, for example, now we have just assigned a series of video columns from Latin America, which is called Reimagining Latin America After the Pandemic, Media, Culture, and Democracy. So we're inviting uh, video columnists from um, different countries of Latin America to, you know, to, to give their, their interpretations, versions, uh, our journalistic reports about this. Now we've had Sebastián from Chile, uh, an artist from uh, Adela Goldberg from Mexico, um, the Maria Paulina Baena from Colombia, from, from La Puya and, and other people. So what we are doing, what I'm doing, for example, now I'm doing more editing in the journalism, which I can do because takes a different part of my brain. I rarely, I'm not, I haven't been writing journalism for a bit, which I miss, no? So I think like I transitioned from them. I, I developed for many years, it was very hard, especially in the earlier years, when I didn't get tenure, when I didn't have tenure yet, you know, when I when I was still in this kind of uh, mode into uh, uh, coming up with a system that will work for me, no? I think, you know, the older you get, you, you kind of uh, uh, learn to recognize the priorities and what is something that you need to write and also what is something that you have to write and how to balance that, no? Um, and I think I've, I've, I've and I'm still trying to learn it, but I have a little bit more clear of the path. So for example, now I'm just mainly in academic or uh, essay writing mode, no? 
particularly and editing some journalistic pieces that run first through my through through the staff that we have on Polivision, you know, some uh, graduates, uh, um, journal, uh, student assistants that are journalists and doing that. And then I get some versions of that. I give input. I do some final edits before we publish. But, you know, I'm not really producing a lot of journalistic content itself. But, you know, I might. That's one thing that I want to do is I want to, you know, go back to have some sort of column or, or, or a space uh, after this after this book. Very interesting. And then what about the organizational side of things? So um, at Georgia Tech, where you've spent the most of your career as a professor in the States, how has your experience been with how the different kinds of work are evaluated, taken into consideration, etc.? cetera? So um, the you know, the scholarly work, I would imagine, is the core output, right? But how is the journalistic, how is the creative work, um, you know, seen and assessed by, you know, the institution and by your peers? Well, the, the, yeah, that's a very interesting question. And I think it's a very particular case. So when I was out of grad school, this was mainly my main job. I had I was in, in a small private liberal college for nine months, but really... I've spent here almost 10 years now. So uh, this has been most of my experience as a professor. Uh, I came as an assistant professor, now I'm an associate. And hopefully I will be going for the next level in, in a few years or, or sooner. The, the work distribution here is 40, 40, 20. You know? It's 40% research, 40% teaching and 20% service. That's what is in the contract. Now, of course, it varies according to the different responsibilities that you might take. Uh, to get tenure, uh, you know, nothing is written on stone and it changes through disciplines. But uh, of course, academic writing, traditional academic writing has a priority, mainly for the humanities. Um, it's a book and journal articles, no? That's kind of a, a unstated rule that we have been following during the past uh, years. And the one that led me to get tenure. No? So uh, at the moment, my priority also, for example, before taking this job, that was probably a very intense moment of me participating in the media. I was in Peru, I finished my grad, I finished uh, my PhD, and I was for a couple of years producing constantly content for, um, for Latin American and Peruvian media outlets. No? I even had a weekly show of interviews with politicians, and, and, and public figures in Peru. I was very much into the media world, no? So I produced actually some of my best journalistic world work, I think the year or the two years before starting at Georgia Tech. When I started here, my priority became the academic writing, no? And I knew that was at that moment the main, uh, the main priority to, in order to, to pass the critical review and to get tenure. And I did that, and I was glad to have uh, a topic that I feel, I still feel passionate about, which is a topic of political satire and digital infotainment and, and all the issues that I've just uh, talked in the in the in the in the presentation before. No, so uh, and I published a book with Oxford University Press, and that kind of gave me some sort of. Uh, uh, I, it was easier to move from that, no, from some bigger publications, and then you you have a little bit more freedom to distribute your time and your interests. So yes, I mean uh, to answer 
your question is, I think it's mainly academic work. I mean, it's, but there's also space for creative work, no? But that also changes according to the different stages. I think that after getting tenure, you have a little bit more of freedom into how to organize all your production, your intellectual production that can take many forms, no? Uh, so I think it's also important, you know, if, we're, if especially if this is targeted to younger um, scholars, is to also have a clear sense of the different stages, you know, what to prioritize at certain moment. Um, and also of the institution, you know? there are institutions that are much more that are focused on 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 different aspects of the of the of the profession. You know? Some of them are very much focused on teaching or service or. Uh, or academic production, but you know the, the the distribution of the way that they put in it might be different, you know, depending on the position that you got into. Uh, in my case, was um, for example, uh, I am in a school of moral languages, and I do mainly media studies. But uh, for example, I'm in, in the in the department of Spanish. When I applied to this job, the the job ad was it was just me, so they were not looking for a very traditional literary scholar, they were looking for a media studies person with a uh, focus on Latin America and ideally experience on Latin American media. It was like a description of me. That, and it's weird because I had offers and applied to other jobs, all of them in communications and journalism departments. And I, I had a few other offers. I took this one, even though it was not, uh, I had really not been very familiar with modern languages or uh, language departments. But the the feed was was a good feed, no. And I think that's also important when you evaluate this. What is it that you need to do to develop successfully in the track? Is to also read that it's a good fit for you, you no. Know? And that the yeah. Uh, no, absolutely, Paul. So so I want to pick up on on the two dimensions of of how you have sort of just you know concluded the the previous answer or comment. So you're back in Peru, you finish your PhD, and then you're working as a journalist, but you transition back to academia after a few years of being at Austin. So first question is why? Second question is how? Right? Why well, I didn't, yeah. how was the process? I didn't transition back in. I, I was never out. Like I finished, so I, I was ABD. I'll tell you this. I was ABD and I was uh, finishing my dissertation and I got an offer to do media work in Lima. So I allegedly, in my ambitious mind, I was going to finish the dissertation, do media work. And also I was hired to teach a few classes at La, uh, in the University Católica there. And I started writing for El País from Spain and I was still working with the Knight Center and I was uh, also having a very uh, fun life. So I was doing a lot of stuff together how did you complete your dissertation in the middle of all of that? I did, I did. Uh, how? I, I so mean, I had done some of the research previously, so I was more in the writing stage. And I think I was really in one of those moments in your life in which I just was writing. Like I was writing journalism, I was writing this, I could sit down for hours and read and then go out. <laughs> I, I cannot do it anymore. You know? Now I, I don't, now I, now I write in the mornings, now I, you know, I have a much more organized, structured life. We're talking about the changes of life, you know. But my life at the time was very, uh, very energetic, you no. Know? So I never really got out of academia. 
So I, 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 I was in between worlds. I was combining worlds. And then, of course, I left the last six months. I did come back to Austin, finish writing and defend that. And then, and then, uh, and then, I, and then I was in the job market. And then I came back to finish some of the stuff that I was doing in Gima. So it was in between various things. I was also living like with two suitcases in between Austin, New York, and Lima for like two years. No, um, and it was very tempting at, at the time. I think I was doing really interesting journalistic work in Lima. The media industry at the moment was very tempting to be to be part of, you know, also, you know, I was teaching at the university there, there were options. And then more personal reasons made me uh, come back. I had a daughter. So I guess that's always uh, something that, you know, the logistics of uh, of other options was just going to make it very difficult. So and it was a difficult moment of decisions into, because, you know, I was kind of deciding what was going to be the path to follow. Um, and then my daughter was born in, 2010, so that kind of clear up. Okay, well, you know, this is what I'm going to do, and uh, and I think it worked out pretty well. No, uh, even though sometimes when you're in the media frenzy, you think you're still your thinking is still filled with the adrenaline-driven thing of the journalism thing and the uh, and that kind of a uh, lifestyle that comes with it, uh, and maybe the academic life at that moment doesn't seem that attractive. Uh, I think in the long term, I realized that with the other path, I was able to develop more comfortably all the interests that I had. So I think it was a very good decision to do it the way I did it. And in terms of the process, you know, what are some do's and don'ts that you learned along the way that you wish you knew as you embarked upon the process of, of finding an academic job in the U.S.? Well, I I mainly learned that when I went to the job market in the second year. The first one I just sent out, submitted a few applications, and I got one offer, and I took it because I was still doing so many other things. It was I was I was not really focused. So really, the one in which I took my job at Georgia Tech was the one that I did the job market search properly, right? And that's why I had much more interviews. I had a few offers, and I took the job that I stayed in. Uh, well, the one thing that I remember learning that is to having very clear how to describe clearly for an interdisciplinary audience what I was doing, why was it important, and what was I planning to do in the next years, no? And I think learning to do that, I think it's the key to getting the fit the, the, the fit that you want. Uh, uh, because you are communicating clearly what you're doing, what you think it's valuable and what you're planning to do. Uh, and the people that are on the other receiving end will also, you know, understood it clearly and see if that fits within their within their um within their departmental interests and needs. No, I think it's a I don't think it's a very I don't think it's a good strategy to twist that just to try to fit in, because even if you end up getting the job, there is going to there is always going to be potential conflict if what you're offering and what you're going to be able to deliver or what you really are willing to deliver in the next years. No, so uh, I think that that uh, that should be a kind of an honest uh, 
open conversation about what you know what what you want and i know that especially at that moment everybody's stressed and just wants a job but especially if you have the space and the options uh i think it's always better to go that route no but also it's how you expose how you how you really uh i wouldn't i don't like the word marketed but how you present it no uh um, you can always tailor your job within the institution. I think that's a very important skill to have. No, um, for example, I think here, uh, uh, you know, Georgia Tech is a predominantly science-driven institution, and they do qualitative work in the small liberal arts college. But it's a perfect fit because actually my interests align, and I, uh, you know, and of course there's other challenges that probably, you know. Uh, but you know, all my experience before was in La Catholic in the humanities, one of the biggest liberal arts uh, private colleges in Peru, then in UT Austin, you know, and the communications departments. So it was a very different kind of thing, but I tailor it for those presentations, but at the same time communicating very clearly what I wanted to do in the, the next years if they allow me to stay. And that's what I delivered. So I think that's what made the relationship much better and that why I ended up staying. No? It's also, you know, it's a pain to be in the job market all the time, except that you really need to, so. Absolutely. And, and then once you got the job, since you had teaching experience, you have had teaching experience in Peru, right? Um, so in a very different country. Um, how would you describe similarities and differences between teaching practice, expectations from the students, uh, expectations from your colleagues and the institutions in um, two elite institutions like Georgia Tech and La Católica in Peru, but in two very different countries, right? Yeah, well, I did have, I mean, I, I went to, uh, to do grad school very soon after I graduated from my undergrad in Peru. And I did work as a TA, or an instructor the last years that I was in the university, but I really didn't develop a lot of teaching skills at the time. Uh, I think I got much more significant experience in Austin as a graduate uh, teaching assistant. And then uh, I was able to teach, to, uh, to co-teach a few uh, online classes also with um, important journalists from the region for the Knight Center for Journalism. And that's when I started developing some more um, teaching skills, no? Um, I think in grad school, you usually take one class in one of your last semesters of classes and, you know, that's supposed to prepare you to, for teaching. But I think the only way is really try and error, no? And you learn doing it. Uh, so there was, a, a, I think, maybe a year, maybe two semesters of adjustment when I got to Georgia Tech in which I needed to really understand the student population which is different from the other institutions that I was. Uh, and that had some um, very great aspects and other challenges that I needed to, you know, um, to, uh, to address in the classes. Um, so, yeah, so I think, I don't think it was so much of as an international change, you know, from, from cultural issues in Peru to students in the U.S. more than, teaching in a, uh, as a graduate student assistant from a communication school, teaching a media studies class, to teaching about uh, uh, media and Latin American studies to engineers or biologists, no? And then, of course, that, uh, which is not, I mean, most of the students that take my classes, they are from our master's degree 
or uh, which is on media and global cultures or international affairs on some of these other classes. But we also receive a lot of students from these other uh, careers that are predominant at Georgia Tech. So how to incorporate that into the teaching environment? No? So that was a challenge because I was not used to that student population. But then, you know, after a few semesters, you start getting the rate of it. I think one of the tips that I would say is try to read the, the student audience, you know? Um, and try to read critically, for example, the student evaluations beyond the complaints, beyond whatever, you know, the superficial stuff that will always happen. But what are things that actually you need to pay attention to, especially at the beginning, no? I think that, that that's been useful. I had understood from, from um, you know, prior segments in the conversation that when you were ABD and you uh, were, you know, triangulating between Lima, New York and Austin, um, you were also doing some adjunct teaching in Lima. Oh yeah, you're right. Yes, I did. I did. I did. I taught at the Catolica two classes in journalism in the specialty. Yeah, it was one semester. Okay. Okay. I yes. you well, it was very similar. Actually, so, you know, that's a very interesting comparison. It was in a journalism program, La uh, Escuela de Periodismo in the Catholic University. And then I taught a duty in the communications. And actually, I would say that that was much more similar, even within their cultural differences, than teaching in a mainly science-oriented institution. You know, because, you know, it's very difficult to teach journalism to people that want to be journalists and teach media studies for people that this is part of a holistic vision of their careers, no? Uh, so, you know, it's a, and that's, that was, a, I think a more challenging adaptation that I had to do. But yes, there are also cultural challenges, you know, you, you know, in, 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 I think in Peru at the time, the, the students were much more involved with uh, political issues and the political conversation of the country. And, uh, I think, uh, for example, at the time that I was teaching in Austin, there was much more about uh, uh, debates in that generation of students, much more about, uh, you know, the new inclusive language and some other things that were coming about at the time, no? So there was navigating their, the new components of that generational conversation, no? I think that's always also important to read, which is at the same time comes with the whole idea of trying to read the students. Now, what are they really? What is what are they really interested in? What are the issues that they are perceiving that uh, are part of their cultural own own generational cultural wars? Absolutely, absolutely. And switching from teaching to to you know career progression, how was your experience with the tenure process? I think it was, uh, I think it was smoothly enough because I asked a lot of questions and questions that were not necessarily always, that are not, I think on purpose, not that clearly stated, no? Uh, for example, I, uh, there is not one place that says to get tenure, you need to have a book in a, a recognized academic press. It's not written. Uh, you can try to, you know, to just make an argument for just argument for just articles, journal articles, right? Uh, but except that you are in linguistics or certain economics or certain other areas within in which that's the main uh, uh, format of production, 
uh, that's going to probably be questioned in the tenure process, no? So even though it's not written, I ask enough questions to know, okay, this is what they are expecting from me. This is what I have, this is what I need. So I try to plan accordingly. And I was very lucky too that the process of the publication of the book was uh, timely enough and it was with a, a very good uh, publisher. Uh, so that helped move the process smoothly, no? But for example, too, that uh, it's also important to understand the, the changes of generations, no? So for example, here, especially in the, you know, um, Georgia Tech, the School of Modern Languages was becoming a research-oriented school and, and they put a lot of uh, emph emphasis on that, which has not always been the case. So the expectations of the people of my generation and a few years older in terms of academic production is very different than the ones that people had 20 years ago, no? So, I mean, I think it would have been a mistake to ask someone that was 10 years before here say, so what did you need for tenure? <laughs> then, very different than what I you, you think you, you should get and how to frame your work for the tenure process. No? And talking about tenure, talking about your classroom experience, talking about your research focus and the writing, being from Latin America, right, and writing, about Latin America quite often. What are the challenges as opportunities that that positionality has presented to you? Well, I always say that I, it, it's been more uh, opportunities than challenges, and it has both. Um, and, you know, my field is media studies with a focus on journalism and popular culture. And as a journalist and, and, and a writer too, and, and an infotainer sometimes too, I do think I have a very particular insight perspective on how those media industries that I write about work, which I think would have been much more difficult to grasp if I were not from that society and I was just doing ethnography. Uh, so I do think I brought some of these cultural understandings that I applied even to, to other uh, societies from Latin America that are, for example, not exactly like Peru or media systems that are different in Argentina, in Santiago, in, in, in Chile, in, in Colombia, in Mexico, but that have commonalities, no? And that have commonalities that are un, 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 commonalities and contrast between them, but also with the United States. So I think that positionality has always given me I think a fresh perspective on the field of media studies that's been developed, at least where I, I remember in the journalism department where I, was, uh, where I studied, most of the works that we read were about Anglo media. No? So I, for myself, with a lot of these academic texts that were mainly studying uh, a global or Anglo media. Then, I had to negotiate those understandings with reading of scholars from Latin America, but also with the experience of Latin America. So I think gave me a very unique positionality with that. It's how to combine this theory with this uh, personal professional knowledge with this other uh, intellectual tradition, you know, that I am also aware of. The challenges, and I think this is different for a lot of people. So uh, as I said, English is my second language, but also writing in English, 
was a challenge. Uh, and I think still a challenge for a lot of international scholars. I was, I think, a little bit earlier transitioning to writing in English because I went to a journalism department in contrast to a lot of my colleagues who went to Spanish departments or, uh, or Latin American studies departments where they were allowed to do a lot of the work either in, in Spanish or in English and Spanish or, you know, uh, so I was expected to write professional in English since grad school, no? So it was, it was difficult, but it was difficult during the first years until I started getting, you know, uh, getting the, the flow out of it, no? Even now, I do think there's still a debate about in, here in, 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 in many modern languages school or cultural studies school about what language is your research published in, no? And how is that evaluated by committees that you don't know, right? Uh, is it the same to publish in Spanish, German, French, or or, um, or any other foreign language, or in English if you're developing your career in a, uh, or you're doing a tenure track in a US uh, institution, no? Uh, and that's a debate, and I think there can be Done cases for different kind of things. So, but that's been a challenge, no? Uh, to 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 combine that with expectations, no? And I really, you know, I'm sure that there are many other challenges that we in our processes are not always aware of. You know, uh, it's weird. You know, you probably been in search committees as I have, and I've been in RPT committees, but just up to some level, right? And sometimes the, the way decisions are made are very different than what you, when you're on the other side, you really think or know or imagine how they are. So, you know, uh, I'm sure that a lot of challenges have been unknown to me. Very good. And, and speaking about unknown challenges, um, the publication that you direct is a publication that sort of uh, joins Latin America and Latinx, Latino USA, right? Um, how do you see that? Um, conversation unfolding in terms of Latin America and Latinx USA? Well, I think I'm actually writing a, a chapter that addresses that for a book. Um, and I think it's a very complex issue that has to do with identity, with history, with education, class, race, intersectionality, so many topics, but it's a, it's a very, very complex issue. What I try to do with this publication, and the reason why I started this, is that during the past 10 years, as you probably know, there was a boom of Latino, Latina, Latinx media in the US. Um, you know, there was traditionally this core idea of Hispanic media, Univision, the, the, those kind of traditional old school media that are targeted you know, Spanish speaking, usually first generation immigrants, right? But then it evolved to adapt for new, new, new generations of uh, second, third immigration. And you had a lot of these media outlets, especially in the 2010s, starting in, in different platforms, targeting millennials uh, in, in, with, in English, targeting the Latino population that might or might not speak Spanish but still has some sort of relation with that culture, but it's very different than the other ones. So what I notice in all, most of this sort of Latinx and Latino culture is that strong focus on 
the Latino experience in the US, which it is subtly acknowledged, yes, this has to do with Latin American history. There is a reason why we share so, some of these traits, but at the same time, their focus is, I think, sometimes very superficial about Latin America. So what I try to do in this one is, in this publication, is actually to showcase more of the Latino, in parentheses, American culture from Latin America, targeting it to a Latino population of people interested in culture of uh, in these kind of issues in the U.S. Uh, so I mean, I'm trying to show, you know, like to put an example, I'm trying to to tell people that, uh, you know, uh, uh, the people that think that reggaeton is the most important uh, uh, genre of music in Latin America, to, to show them about the richness of rock nacional in Argentina. You know, on what's the history of that? What are the exponents of that? What's the musical history of that? What are the differences between the Caribbean and South America? What are the different kind of uh, writing traditions that come from there? You know, uh, you have Latino authors that are emblematic here, you know, from Sandra Cisneros to Junot Diaz that are trying to capture the Latino experience. And uh, so how would I, uh, and I, I'm sure that an educated Latino is probably aware of those kind of works, but how much have they read of the Latin American literary tradition and how that really applies to their understanding of even what it means to be Latino now. No? So I'm trying to do the other work in, the, in, in, in this publication, try to showcase that. So for example, now with the video column sections is, I'm not just trying to get Latinos to talk about this experience from their perspective from here, but mainly getting Latin Americans, uh, uh, journalists, scholars, and artists to talk about the experiences from them from there and bring it through, you know, for example, all the all the video columns are in Spanish with subtitles in English, bring them, them to this audience. Of course, they're not going to have the same effects and immediate views of someone that is recognizable for them in the US, a voice that they can relate to. But maybe this is a way to strengthen that bridge, no? So uh, I think that that has not been done enough, no? Um, the communication from the South to this part in terms of the Latino, Latinx, and Latin American conversation. Um, so I guess, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe it is time, you know, when, when people talk about how, uh, I don't know, how uh, uh, the relation of the new artist of like Bad Bunny with queer culture, right? Uh, I'm like, I don't know, maybe maybe you will find it very interesting to read uh, Pedro Lemebel and, and all his tradition of queer performance in the 70s in Chile, you know? This is not coming from nowhere. Absolutely. So on that note then, one final question. If you had magical powers and could be granted one wish about how you would like the field of communication and media studies to change, what would you wish for? A wish. Hmm. The field in it, in, 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 uh, you know, I actually, yeah. Um, well, I think, I think in general, and it's, I think it's beyond the media field. I think in general is with academia. And I think there's been progress into this direction, but my wish that, that, that there is a more, 
a stronger bridge between the, um, for example, in this case, journalism and academia. No, uh, I know there. Are, you know, the, the, to make much more accessible academic knowledge in a much more engaging language, uh, in a much more engaging multimedia accessible language. No, uh, there are there are many uh, uh, media outlets that I think have started this. No, for example, there is a magazine in Argentina, Revista Amphibia, that used to pair a journalist with an academic to produce a story, you know, in order to make this in-depth, uh, solid, uh, intellectually ambitious stories, but with the craft of a journalist. I think that should become much more of a norm in general. Not only the, to team up, but, you know, academics should be able to learn how to write in, in, in different formats and engage also with wider audiences. And I think people, with intellectual ambitions in the journalism field should be more aware of the works that are produced in the academia, no? And I think that th there are signs that that progress has been happening. I I hope to be part of that. Actually, I, I try to write that way, um, which is not always well received. Uh, I've always struggled with that as my professional identity. Like I remember generally saying that I wrote to intellectualize and academics telling me that I write like a journalist. And, you know, and, you know but uh, there are some people that appreciate it in both camps, you know? So I guess my wish would be to, to be able to, that, that that become a much more predominant trend. All right, thank you very much, Paul. This has been a fabulous conversation. Thank you to our listeners uh, for staying with us through the end. And I invite everybody to join us for the next episode of El Café Latinx. Thanks again, Paul. This was fabulous. Thank you very much. El Café Latinx is a production of the Center for Latinx Digital Media in the Department of Communication Studies at Northwestern University. I'm Pablo Wojcicki, the host, and I'm joined by executive producer Facundo Swenson.